All right, y'all. Let's get started. Good to see you. I miss you people. I really do. Oh, that's very sweet. Don't lie. Uh, no, seriously, it's good. To, it's good to good to be here. It's good to see you all. Really fun to to be able to be in this this space with you. Uh, some of you have asked how are things going at Shawnee, and you know there's a lot of work to be done. So if you yeah, hopefully we keep you up, updated on all that stuff. But uh, busy, but people are in good spirits and continue to move forward. So yeah, we're picking up the pieces. So anyway, thanks thanks for those of you who asked, and I know I know many of you are curious. But let's uh let's jump in here. Let me. You late for class? Jeez. All right, let me, let me pray for us, uh, and we will we'll jump in. God, we're so grateful that you are here with us. God, that we're not alone in this desire to live better, more full, full and more complete lives. And so, God, thank you that you're, you're here with us. You are in us as your people, that you empower us, that you give us strength and joy even in hard things. And we just pray that you would do that now. God, I pray for, I know all of us, you know, just coming on, you know, Tuesday night, like it's busy. Like, so all the distractions, God, all the, the tiredness, the things that are on our minds, Lord, would you just give us uh, even just an hour, hour and a half of Sabbath, God, of, of rest, mental rest, of engagement with you and with one another. Uh, and just even joy in, in these things as we learn and grow together. Give us clarity. God, help our minds to be sharp uh, and help us to trust in you and love you in all things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, come on in, everybody. All you, just come on in. All right, so I want to I wanna begin uh, with a, a fill in the blank. Okay, and I know you've done some homework, so you've probably thought about this, so don't give the... I don't know, don't give the Sunday school answer. Like give, give what comes out of your gut. Like if you were to answer, like your Monday is early. Early, there you go, I like it, that's, that's a real answer. Yeah, your Monday is, I think your work. Your work is engaged. Okay, so full, lots of, yep, yep, what else? Frustrating. There's an honest answer. Yep. A new beginning. Okay. All right. So yeah, a new a new chapter, a new endeavor. Yeah, that can be intimidating, but also joyful. Yeah. What else? Necessary. Necessary. Right. Right. At the end of the day, you got to eat. Right. You got bills to pay. No doubt. It's necessary. What else? Lazy, okay, well, that sounds nice. <laughs> okay, oh good, okay, so it's your rest day, nice, nice. Yeah, one more. Your work is, your Monday is? A grind. A grind, oh yeah, that's a good honest answer. Yep, sometimes, sometimes just mundane sometimes, exhausting, tiring. Uh, sometimes it feels pointless, right? feels like you're just doing what you have to do because it's what you have to do, right? I think we all can feel some of those things at various times. What, what was your, just think about this for a moment, you're gonna talk about this at your table in a little bit, but like, what was your first job and what was your worst job? 
You don't have to answer that. Not you, You'll have some t- time at your table. Just think, think, think about that for a moment. What was your first job and what was your worst job? Sometimes those are the same things, right, for some of us. Uh, maybe not. So for me, like I began, I've, I've always been a worker. I've, lo- I've just, I've done, I've done that. So even when I was a kid, I would mow lawns and my dad would drop me off at the lawnmower and I'd just mow somebody's lawn and go to the next one. And I would do that until I was like able to buy a car. Uh, my first car was with lawn mowing money. Uh, when, I, when I was 15, uh, I worked as seasonal help in a college cafeteria, which let me just say is disgusting. And I would, I would not recommend it. Uh, for for $4.25 an hour, I remember that very clearly. Uh, except I thought I was rich because I was 15, right? And so it felt, it felt great. Uh, from there, in high school, I worked at Subway Sandwiches. So, you know, pretty great, right? No, it's terrible. Don't eat there. Um, oh my gosh, I worked there for two years. It's, I, and I don't think I've been, been back since. Uh, so that'll tell you what my opinion is uh, of Subway. Uh, eat fresh, no, it, no, it's not, it's not gonna happen. Uh, after that, I was a bank teller for eight years. So that was a little bit more fun, I suppose. It got pretty, pretty tedious, pretty mundane. Um, I did that at the end of high school, all through college, seminary, a variety of banks, depending on, on where I lived. It's actually grosser than Subway uh, to work for a bank, uh, especially like all that money. It's just, it's just disgusting. My hands would be just so gross. Uh, and besides, when's the, when's the last time you've been to a bank, right? So like, think about that. My job has already been replaced completely by robots, right? Um, doesn't feel that great. Uh, so what, what were some of your first jobs? Paper out. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. What else? Huh? Janitor. Janitor. Okay. Yeah. Get your hands dirty. Babysitter. I hear that. Uh huh. Umpire. Umpire. Okay. That's pretty cool. Okay. Well, yeah. Mad parents. That's true. Parents are the worst. So true. What's that? Huh? Donut shop. Mad be. Okay. All right. Others? First jobs? Delivering cabinets. Okay. All right. 14, man, I tell you what. Jimmy John's. Jimmy John. Okay, now that's better than Subway. That, that, I, I will eat there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so now, now I've been, that's, you know, that's my old, early work history. Now I've been a pastor uh, for 16 years. And let me just say, I'd love to see a, a robot try this, okay? Um, it's supposed to be a joke, people. I mean, give it time, right? A robot will do my job. I'm pretty confident of that. Uh, but that's like, that is my entire work history. Uh, and I've learned a lot of lessons along the way. I'm sure many of us could talk about lessons. Uh, but one of them that's really clear, and I think we kind of alluded to it here, is sometimes work just stinks, right? Like even, even if you love your job, even at times when like your job is like the best ever, it's your dream, it's everything, like you still have terrible days. Like I think about, you know, Salvi, right? It's like he's, he's got the dream job catching for the Royals, but he's got, some, he's, he's got to have some hard days, right? It's, it's got to be some bad times. No matter what your job is, like sometimes you just have to go to work. You have to pay the bills. Sometimes, some of you know this intimately, sometimes you're in situations where you hate your boss or your coworkers or your employees or your clients. Sometimes work feels like it gets in the way, right, of what you really want to do. Or maybe it's just like it's too much and you feel overwhelmed, exhausted, maybe bored or mistreated. Some of us like genuinely hate our jobs. Reed, don't raise your hand. (laughs) Watch it. (laughs) 
Some of us do, right? And, and frankly, some of us with, with good reason. And I think, I think the hardest thing for many of us is that nagging question behind it. It's like, does it even matter? Like in the grand scheme of things, like what difference am I making? Like I, I've got X number of years to live and I'm spending how much of my time doing this thing? Like, does it make any difference whatsoever? I mean, it's, it's where we spend essentially the majority of our waking lives, right? Is doing our jobs. And, and let, me, let me just say, say to you, I mean, day in, day out, like for decades, but I want to be clear, like when I, when I say work, right, or Monday, right, it's, I don't necessarily mean what you get paid to do. Because I think we all know, right, no matter what your vocation is or stage of life, you know that there's work that you do that you get nothing financially from, right? Um, and so I, what, I, what I mean by work, when we, when we talk about work at Christ Community, we mean where you, where you contribute. Uh, not about remuneration, but contribution. Like, where are, you, where are you contributing to the world, right? And sometimes you get paid for that, sometimes you don't. And so, th- you know, think about that. Like, if you're a stay-at-home parent, you work harder than most of us in this room, right? But you don't get paid for that. Like, that, that counts as work. If you're retired, right? There's, there's people that in your life that you perhaps mentor, or maybe you, you spend time with your, your grandkids, or if you're, if you're unemployed, right? But you're, you're wrestling with the next step, trying to figure out what's next in your life. Or maybe you're a student, you're, 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 you know, you're, you're thinking through what's coming, right? You're working your mind in preparation for future contribution. Like, no matter what you do, like, and all of us have different, different backgrounds, different vocations, different jobs that we've done. We still have, I think as followers of Jesus, this question in the back of our minds, we should at least, like, does any of this matter to God? Like, am I actually serving him in this? Is it, does it count for anything beyond what I see in the moment, beyond a paycheck or maybe not even a paycheck? And so here, here's our big idea for tonight. And we want to kind of expand our imagination out of this. And we've alluded to this along the way. And I don't think this is going to be a surprise to many of you since you've been with us. But our big idea tonight is that when we fill in this blank, your Monday is or your work is, one really good word that we should use is ministry. No matter what you do, no matter where you serve, your Monday is ministry. It's kingdom work is what it says in your notebook, right? It's God's work, no matter what it is. And maybe, maybe you hear that, and you know, depending on your, your background and the church, your upbringing, maybe like, not ministry, like, isn't that like what, what pastors do? Um, isn't that like what a missionary does? That, that's ministry. That's not true. What I do is vocational ministry, okay? Because it's my vocation. So it is unique, it's my job. Um, But none of us, if we're followers of Jesus, none of us get out of being in ministry. Because the word ministry simply means service. And so all of life, if you're a Christian, all of life is ministry, is service. That's what Jesus did, right, for us. And so everything we do, everywhere we go, all of, if you're a Christian, you and I are both in full-time Christian ministry. That's not for pastors, that's not for missionaries. That is for anyone who follows Jesus. We are in service to the king, doing kingdom work with the very whole of our lives. The difference is I get paid for it. You have to do it for free, right? Because your Monday is ministry. 
And so that means if you want to take Jesus seriously, you have to take your work seriously. That it is, a, it is not an impediment to your discipleship. It's not in the way of following Jesus. It's not something you do to get to Sunday. Like, it is essential. Like, it is essential to your discipleship. It's not a distraction. It's not something that pulls you away from following Jesus. It's not something you do on Monday with very little connection to Sunday. No, if you want to take Jesus seriously, you have to take your work seriously. Because it's where you spend the majority of your time, right? You can't think that Jesus only wants these couple of hours, like maybe I'm gonna have my quiet time in the morning and I've got Sundays and I've got my small group. Like that's what I'm giving to Jesus. No, Jesus wants all of it, right? And the majority of our time is in the work that we do, paid or unpaid, doing that work day in and day out. And so if you have, have a Bible with you, turn to Colossians chapter three. We're gonna spend the majority of our time in Colossians three. We'll kind of bounce around to some other ideas as well. But here in Colossians three, and we can find this other, elsewhere in scripture, but here we find three key insights that help us explain how God sees our work how he sees our work and what he expects from us. Again, no matter what you do. Three things. I'm going to go ahead and give them to you right now, okay? Three things. We're going to see here in Colossians that your work is seen. Your work will be rewarded. And your work is so much bigger than you. Okay, we'll unpack those. Your work is seen. Your work will be rewarded. And your work is so much bigger than you. But first... Let's take 10 minutes at our tables uh, to work through these, the first table discussion. All right, 10 minutes. All right. While this is completely irrelevant to the rest of the time tonight, I'm just curious, who wins? Worst job? <laughs> Do you mind sharing? Among other things, there was a dock that had, you know, people rented slips and those uh, owners of those boats had toilets on their boats. So oh. it had to get out somehow from <laughs> <laughs> uh, the boat to elsewhere. So that was part of my job. Fortunately, I only had to do it like less than five times probably. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That, <laughs> that might win. Anybody, anybody want to compete with that one? <laughs> Emptying the toilets? Yeah, okay, all right, I wanna hear it. I was 16, went to work for a pharmacy, and the pharmacist stole narcotics. Oh. Yeah, they were missing as they were counted, and so we all had to take lie detector tests, and he was also sexually abusive. Oh my, oh my, wow. That's pretty bad, that's pretty bad. All right, anybody else wanna share? You don't, you don't have to top that. Uh, <laughs> anybody else wanna share? Come on, another bad job. No, everybody had good jobs. Day, day labor, yeah, that's that's hard. that's tough work, man, especially in the summer. Yeah, yeah. You trained for a bad job. Okay, well that's good. You you wised up before you. Uh... Oh my gosh. Ooh. Huge cast iron bathtub full of molten salt at 750 degrees, and you're in there figuring out how to feed it, working around it. That seems warm. So much electricity running through there that you couldn't wear a watch, couldn't take a credit card in because it demagnetizes. Sheesh. Work is fun, right, guys? 
Yeah, and yet it matters to God. Okay, so, so we've, been, we've been unpacking this idea, right? Church for Monday. That's what this is called. That's what this class is. Uh, and that's because our, our mission as a church isn't what we do on Sundays. Like, surprise, okay? Sundays matter. We talked about that. We had a whole time talking about how, how important the local church is. Sunday matters. But everything we do in this room, right, or in this building, uh, is only worthwhile if it actually helps us on Monday, if it actually helps us follow Jesus everywhere else we go, right? That's what we want to do. We want to help us walk out of here equipped to follow Jesus. And so we've been talking about these seven marks, right? I'm going to review them again real fast. That our, our job description as a church, and if we want to grow in our faith, right, it's to be ready for Monday. It's these seven things. We take up our cross, right? We put on the yoke so we engage the, the spiritual disciplines. We build our lives in the Bible. We want to see all of life through the scriptures, um, we love the local church. We make it a priority, right, in our lives. And then these last three are all about the city, right, our engagement in the world, that we, uh, we give ourselves away, uh, that we share the gospel in word and deed. And then today, finally, that we work diligently for the flourishing of all. That we as followers of Jesus are to work diligently. That work's not an option. It's not a hobby. Nor is it simply a duty, but it is something God invites us into as a place to serve him and to love our neighbors. Works diligently. Now, sometimes when we think about that, we think, well, okay, the kind of good works that God wants is for us to, to feed the hungry, to, to work for justice, to share our faith. And yes, obviously God does want those things. We've talked about that. But it also means that your work as a student or a stay-at-home parent or at the office or the construction site also matters because a huge part of our Monday lives is our work. And so if you want to take Jesus seriously, you have to take your work seriously. So why? Well, look at, look at Colossians chapter 3. So first of all, your work is seen, right? Your work is seen. Whether you feel invisible, and some of us do, right? That's part of the problem in some of our work, is that we feel unseen. We feel devalued. We can't see the, the, see the, the difference that it possibly makes and yet Paul makes it really clear that your work is seen. So verse 22, Paul says, Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, right, just to be seen, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And so essentially what Paul is saying is, is, is do your work not because they see, right? Whoever they are, right? The people we're trying to impress, our, our, our bosses, our, our colleagues, the people around us, right? Not because they see, but because God sees, which is why we should fear the Lord. God always sees. And the reality is like, we crave to be seen, don't we? All of us do. Like, it's, it's like core to who we are. We want to be seen. We want to be known. We want to be, we want to be appreciated. There's so much about that that's really, really good, and especially, like, in the work that we do, we want to be seen. I mean, I think about this with, like, with a little, a little child, right? And some of you, you've had this experience, whether your own kids or other kids in your, in your life, that they, they draw something, right? Or they make something out of Play-Doh or whatever. But, like, their joy is not complete until it's seen. They, they, want, they want it to be seen, appreciated. They want to be known for what they've made, for what they've created. There's, there's something really good and beautiful about that. We want, we want to be seen. But when that dominates our motivation, that we only do it to be seen by the people around us, right? 
that's when it gets really, really dangerous. Like, for example, have you ever, like, done a bunch of housework uh, and you just cleaned everything and it looks awesome and you, like, sit down on the couch to, like, rest because the work is done and then you hear the garage door open? And so you get up to, like, like do a little more housework just so you get seen doing it? Like, you've never done that, right? Of course, that's, that's terrible. Of course you have. Of course you have, right? I've done that. I can't imagine. We want to be seen. We want to be appreciated. We want to be known, Right? Whatever it is, we want credit for our work, and yet so much of our work goes completely unnoticed, completely unseen. So does God even care, right? If nobody else sees a lot of the things we do, does God even care? Like, why should he care? Does he even care about the the, the mundane little things that we do? Doesn't he have more important things to do than my work, than your work? Well, here's the deal. I don't know if you know this, and hopefully you picked up on this somewhere along the way here at Christ Community, but when God created us, even before the world fell apart, he invited us to work. I mean, think about that. God made a perfect world, but not quite finished. That is good. He finished his work in that sense, but he left work for, for us to do. Like, think about this. I mean, the fact that God gave us a garden, didn't give us a grocery store, didn't give us a restaurant. He gave us a garden, like, which forced us as humans to work. And he called us, right? It says even there, to cultivate and to keep. He gives us this garden and he says, cultivate it, keep it. Like, here are, the, here are all the raw materials that you need. I'll make something with it. I mean, so think about that. What God is doing in the beginning of Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2, he invites us as his creatures to partner with him in making his world better. Which is pretty incredible, right? Because God did a pretty good job, right? Especially if you think about it before, before we sinned and everything began to fall, fall apart. And so God, God creates, he, he tells us to work. This is like the, the beginning, like the very first commandments are get to work, basically. Before there's sin, before there's brokenness. And so if you want to know what God wants you to do, like read Genesis 1 and you can't, you can't help but see, he wants you to work. He wants you to cultivate and keep his good world. And the beautiful thing, he actually saves some of the best parts for us. This is, this is incredible that God does this. I mean, imagine if you're, you know, maybe you're a creative type or an artist, or maybe you just like to work with your hands and, and, and think about like you're making something great, whether you're remodeling something or, you know, you're painting something or, or whatever. It's like, it's almost done and it's amazing. And then you hand it to somebody who really knows nothing and says, here, would you finish this? I mean, that's a pretty, that's like a pretty overwhelming privilege, isn't it? Like to finish the work for, think about the dignity the respect that that would show to the person you're handing it to. Say, hey, I've been working on this. It's pretty great. But why don't you have a go at it for a while? Like, this is what God does for us as his people. And he often saves the best parts for us. I mean, think about this. We've used this example before. It's not original uh, with any of us. But like, God makes wheat. Wheat's good. But bread is better, right? It's so much better. We get to make bread. God didn't make bread. But he gave us the raw materials to go make, you can figure it out, make it, right? God, God made grapes. Grapes are good. I like grapes. But wine, wine's better, right? And he, he allowed us to figure out how to do that. And you think about all these different things that God, he gives us the raw materials, incredible, like, you know, toy chest, this, is, this toolbox, right? Full of stuff. It says, go and just figure out how to make my world a more beautiful, more livable, more hopeful place to be.
Like God, the great artist, invites us to work with him. And that's, that's in, in the garden, right, in creation. And so maybe you're thinking, well, what, what happens next? Well, we know, you know, we, when we talk through kind of the, the, the four-chapter story, right, creation, fall, redemption, new creation, ought, is, can, will. And so ought, there ought to be work, right? That's before the world fall, fell apart. We were invited to work. And then is, right? Everything broke. We sinned and work is broken. We're going to talk about that in a moment, right? That it's, there are thorns in our work. Work is painful for us oftentimes. But what can be? Like, well, we can, we can actually work to, to still make the world a better place. We can bring redemption to the places in which God has, has put us. And then if you get to the last chapter, you know, some of us think, well, I'll rest when I'm dead, right? Kind of think that. We're just going to float around on, on clouds and harps and do all that kind of stuff. But no, actually, again, I mean, you read Revelation 21 and 22. There's work to be done, even in the new creation, And so from beginning to end, like God has called and created us as humans to be workers. And so we were always meant to work. But we were never meant to work in these conditions. And this is where the tension lies for for most of us, right? Because work is broken. It's deeply broken. Every job, even the best job, has thorns. And many of us us feel them every, every single day. You know, the thorns might be your own, your own selfishness, right? Uh, the brokenness of the people above you, around you that you work with. I mean, can you imagine working with Reed? It's, it's exhausting, people. I, can agree. I, I agree. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and broken systems, not just like people that you have to deal with, but like broken systems, like things within our work is broken. Like who does Paul address here? Like bond servants, Right essentially slaves, like the lowest of the low in a very broken economic system. And, and slavery in the New Testament, it's different than the, the slavery of the American South. Okay? We, sh- we have to distinguish between the two. Um, it's, it, what, what my ancestors did uh, was so much worse. Like bond servants had some rights in the matter, but it's still very, very broken. Paul's not condoning it here, but he's helping them see that even in the brokenness, even in the most broken situation, right, with broken people, in broken systems, even there, God sees them. And if God sees them, the lowest of the low in their culture. I mean, I love that Paul points, he, he goes to the very bottom, right? The worst jobs, like the very bottom, like the slaves, the bond servants, and says, even there, God sees you. And your work matters. And so maybe, like, if you think, yeah, but Nathan, you don't, you don't know what I do. You don't know how, my bad, how terrible my job is, right? Maybe that's true. Like some of us are stuck in some pretty hard places. I, I, I get that. But it can't be worse than this, right? Being, being a slave or a bondservant. And God sees you. Now, it's also important to know, right, God sees the powerful too, right? You can't miss that. He sees the bosses, right? In verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly. You also have a master in heaven. And so for those of us maybe who tend to be maybe at the top of our organization or at the top of a, of a system, right, ever to, to be able to recognize like that if we mistreat those under us or we allow injustice to flourish, we exploit our customers, clients, community, planet, right, any of those things, God sees you. And the implication is you better, you, you better fear the Lord, right? But also if you are the mistreated, God sees you. 
and he will fight for you. Or if you feel like the work that you do is, is hidden or insignificant, God sees and God delights. So just even think for a moment, like what would change in your work, whatever it is, paid or unpaid, if you truly believe that every single thing you do is seen by the one who made you, the one who invites you to partner in that work with him, that he sees all of it. What would, what would change? Your attitude, your performance, your relationships, your behaviors. I love what Martin Luther King Jr. once said. He said, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep, he should sweep streets, it's a tricky one, even as Michelangelo painted, or as Beethoven composed music, or Shakespeare wrote poetry, he should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Because God sees. And just the fact that God sees, like that gives incredible dignity to our work, as well as hope and accountability. And so sometimes, sometimes at Christ's community, we talk about work as calling. And that's a common thing, right? You've probably heard different, different thoughts about calling, of being called to work. And so let's, let's talk about this for a minute under this kind of idea of being seen. So many of us have probably thought of, of being called to work. And sometimes I think as, as Christians, we can think, well, you know, if a pastor, a pastor is called, right? A missionary is called. But am I really called, right? Has God called me into this? And what I think is helpful for us is to distinguish between a primary calling and a secondary calling. And Oz, Oz Guinness is an author. He's wrote a book called The Call. We kind of uh, are stealing some of this from him. But it's really important to distinguish between the two because our, our primary calling as humans is to someone, not to something. And we, we, have, to, we have to remember that first, right? We're called first to a relationship with God through Jesus before we're called to do anything or to any task, right? Before we're ever called to a kind of work. So our primary calling, right? Your primary calling as a follower of Jesus is to him, by him, for him, right? More than to, to someone or something or to some place, right? And if, if we miss that, then we'll end up finding our meaning and significance in our work, which even as we talk about work matters, right, and how, how important it is, we wanna, we gotta distinguish. It matters, but not as much as you knowing who has called you, even more than the things that we're called to do and be. So that's your primary calling, right? And that's, that's true of all of us. That's, that's eternal. That's who we are as God's people, as, as being created in his image, we are called to him. That's your primary calling in life. But kind of what we're talking about when we're talking about like work and other sort of aspects of our life is, is what Os Guinness refers to as our secondary calling, which is essentially everything else. Like everything else in your life is what God has called to you to secondarily. So where you live, who you marry or whether you get married, right? The job that you do, the college that you go to, if you go to college, like all of those kinds of things become our secondary calling. And that's important but it's also important to distinguish between the two. Because our secondary callings, while they matter deeply and they matter to God, they also, they can change, right? From time, you can change jobs, that, that God's not mad if you switch jobs, right? If you do it with the right motives, right? As an act of faith, uh, it's not a bad thing. If you move to a different place, like those, those you, you have that freedom within your secondary callings. And yet our secondary callings ought to be motivated and empowered by our primary calling. 
And so what I, what I mean by that is because I'm called to Jesus, first and foremost, and seen by him, that is primary, then I have to live and work in a certain way, my secondary callings. So everything, everything I do ought to be in response to this primary thing of being called to Jesus. And then everything else, everything else, everywhere we go is that secondary calling. And Jesus and what he wants for us cannot be contained simply to Sunday, that his kingdom breaks into every part of our lives, right? Over employers and employees and this king that we're called to sees us. And this, this should motivate our, our work. This should give us great joy in our work. But again, you have to distinguish between the two. So if you want to take Jesus seriously, you have to take your work seriously. Now, any, any questions with the kind of the primary calling, secondary calling? Does that make sense? You see why that, how that connects here? Okay, seeing some yeses there. All right, well, let's, let's take a moment. Now, take 10 minutes, and let's go to table discussion B to talk about some of those secondary callings in our lives together. All right. Okay, so again, your Monday is ministry because your work is seen. God sees your work. Every diaper you change, right? Every spreadsheet that you work through, uh, every floor you clean, every unseen conversation you have, God sees it. So your work matters. Second, second, your, mon your Monday is ministry because your work will be rewarded. Your work will be rewarded. Your work will be rewarded. Now, in some ways, some of that can be obvious, right? Because uh, many of us do get paid for the work that we do. Uh, but not all of us do. And for some of us, not nearly enough, right? Or probably most of us feel like we don't get paid enough. Um, and we never, like, you don't want to minimize those frustrations or if there's injustice in your work. Like, we don't, we don't want to do that. Um, and, but Paul makes clear, regardless, that we have back pay coming. Look at, look at verse, verse 23. He says, whatever you do, okay, whatever you do, I love that, whatever you do, it doesn't matter, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. Think about that. that. I mean, that's what he's telling to bond servants. That's who your boss is, right? You're serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. So again, let's start with the wrongdoer, okay? Uh, we won't spend a lot of time, but like, if you, again, if you're in a position of authority, and you mistreat your employers, your suppliers, or you're dishonest with your clients, or, or whatever, or you just do shoddy work, like you're just, you're just bad at your job, or you're going to get what's coming to you, right? Paul says that. You're going to get what's coming to you. But for those who work heartily for the Lord, as Jesus, as their boss, you will also receive a reward, right? This, this inheritance that Paul mentions. Yeah, Paul, is, he's absolutely talking about a future reward, right? The reward that's, that's coming to us as faithful followers of Jesus. Absolutely, that God sees you, your faithfulness, all that you put up with, that he will make it up to you, that you have back pay coming. But what I think we sometimes miss is that we, we also have a reward inherent in the things that we do, even if, even if we kind of hate it. And this, this is a hard part, right? Because let, let, let me give an example. Um, my hope this winter is to remodel one of our bathrooms. We just moved, there's two bathrooms. I'd like to do both, but honestly, I'll probably just get to one of them. I'm hoping this, this winter. Uh, and the reality, like, I, I kind of hate it. 
What? Well, I don't go to church here, so. <laughs> well, I'm going to use it anyway. Because there's a chance I'm going to use it differently. Yeah. Sorry, y'all. Okay, so I'm going to remodel the bathroom. I'm going to do it better than Reed, okay? I've seen his work. He's seen mine. He'll do it faster. I'll do it better. No. <laughs> slower and worse. Okay, so I hate, I hate doing this stuff. I mean, I, I've done several bathrooms. I've done a kitchen. I've done two basements. Uh, and I, I'm just, I'm not good at it. Like, it stresses me out. Like, it takes me forever. You know, I have to analyze everything. I become a, a, a weird perfectionist. But I can afford me. That's, that's the deal. It's like I, I'm, I, I'm in my price range. And so I do, I do this anyway. And so, like, even think about it. Like, what are the rewards in this? Because there are, there are lessons in your work, and I'm just talking about the obvious stuff. Like there are lessons in your work that you just can't learn anywhere else. That are just, that are part of you being spiritually formed to be like Jesus. Because again, the majority of your time, the majority of your waking hours is doing some sort of work, paid or unpaid. And what we do and how we do it is constantly shaping us. Like, we're always being formed. Don't ever think you're not. Like, even if you're passive sitting on the couch, we are being formed into either more like Jesus or less, right? And so our work, our work is doing the same. It is shaping us and forming us. And so when I start to remodel my bathroom, how am I going to be formed? Just guessing. I've done enough of these projects. Sadly, the first thing that comes to mind is I'm probably going to, to like, learn to cuss a little bit less because it's like right next to my kids' bedrooms. So that's one thing. Right? I, don't, I, just, I don't handle the stress very well, but doing this kind of work, it helps me handle some stress. It teaches me patience, like perseverance. Like have you ever repaired drywall, right? Some of you have, you know what I'm talking about. Like it is t it's the worst, right? I'm gonna learn how to serve my family by doing this, to sacrifice me time right? To do something I don't want to do. I'm going to, I'm going to learn how to ask for help because I'm going to get stuck a handful of times and have to do that, which means I'm going to constantly be humbled, right? By doing this work. And, and the reality is like, no matter what you do, when you go to work, you go to school, you care for your family, there are lessons that you're going to learn that you just, you're, you're, chances are you're not going to learn anywhere else or, or be forced to learn them in new and fresh and different ways that are really going to challenge, like forgiveness, right? Because you're going to be hurt by the people around you. Or, or you're going to learn how to love people who are different from you, right? You can't help that. Like, you can't choose, oftentimes, your colleagues. You're going to learn how to serve, how to sacrifice. You're going to learn humility. All of these things are forming you, and there are things that you're going to learn on Monday in your work that you just can't learn anywhere else. And I'm not, I'm not saying with this that we just, like, roll over for exploitation. Like, we look for the worst possible job, right? Because Jesus is going to use it to shape us. That's not that we stay in a lousy job. Like, that's not, that's not what I'm saying, but I have to remind myself in my work, in all of our works, that God's ultimate goal for me isn't to make me happy at work. God has such bigger plans for you and me. That's, that's often my goal, right? To just be satisfied, to be happy, to do enough to get by. That's not God's goal, goal for you or me. His ultimate goal is to make you more like him. And he will use anything around us to do that work, to shape us including our work.
And so let me, let me ask, like what would change tomorrow, right? When you get to work or whatever, whatever work looks like for you, if you believed that as you stepped into that environment, or as your kids woke up, right, screaming bloody murder or whatever it is, right, as you, as you entered into that space, you truly believe God is going to use this to make me more like him. What would change? Like, don't, don't waste your Monday. Don't waste your work. If you want to take Jesus seriously, you have to take your work seriously because God wants to form you with it. This is part of the reward that I think we so often forget. But we, we often miss this as well. Because we, we, we tend to think, think of work as a necessary evil, right? It's something we just have to get by. So we, just, we don't even consider the fact that God is going to use it to somehow shape me. We think it's something that's going to satisfy me. It's going gonna, it's gonna to meet my needs, right? But we don't think about the fact that God is going to use it to, to shape us. And so we have to ask the question, do we really believe that there's a reward here? That God really cares about your job? Because I think, I think what often happens, again, depending on your, your upbringing, your background, we tend to think, well, yeah, I mean, certain jobs are rewarding, right? Or certain jobs God cares about. We mentioned this a little bit, like it's like the pastor, the missionary, the school teacher, right? The first responders. And I'm not minimizing any of those things. Um, and yet, we believe God cares about all of it, don't we? And so there's three distortions, I think, that it comes to when we get to our understanding of work that kind of shapes us, that, help, that prevents us from seeing these rewards. Does that make sense? Because of the things that have shaped us over, over our lives and our expectations. Three, three distortions in particular when it comes to understanding work um, that, that hinder our ability to understand the promise reward that Paul's talking about. So three distortions. I want to mention them real quick, and then I'll kind of talk through them. There's a Catholic distortion, a Protestant distortion, and a bullseye distortion. So Catholic, Protestant, okay, so we're not just going to pick on one or the other, but the, the Catholic distortion essentially says only certain jobs are rewarded. And this is kind of a, a traditional sort of historic, an older understanding of sort of Catholic theology, that there, there, is, there is sacred work and there's secular work. And again, even, even if you didn't grow up Catholic, many of us have kind of walked into this. If you've grown up in church in any, any sense, so you probably said, well, what a pastor does, a missionary does, these are the sacred things. These are the things that God cares about. And everything else is sort of secular. It's mundane. God doesn't care about that, right? He He's not interested in that. But the reality is that has a historical root in sort of the, the Catholic tradition that the priests, the nuns, the monks, right? The, in their, their context, like the pastors, missionaries, right? They're, that was the most rewarding work that you could do. And so the highest reward was to those who were in that work. And then everybody else's job was essentially to support their work. Does that make sense? So secular work is good as long as it supports sacred work was kind of the idea. Which sort of communicates then, right, that, that your work, right, as non-clergy uh, is only valuable if it pays my salary, if it keeps the lights on, right? Now, hopefully... Hopefully you, you like instantly feel like, okay, there's, that can't be right. That your work only matters if it like keeps the church running. There's something wrong with that picture. What, what are some of the things that, like, that you feel sort of viscerally as you hear that, as you experience that? What's wrong with that picture? It's the elitist idea. Yeah. Well, and again, not just, 
No, of course not. Of course not. Well, and here's the thing. It's not just Catholics, right? Because, you know, this is, we're, we're a Protestant church, but these things have crept in as well. It just has roots in the Catholic church. Um, that's where it kind of started with kind of the, the priest class, the nun class, the monk class. But we, many of us as Protestants have adopted as well. Yeah, Joe. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, that there it, it makes a special class of humans and kind of God's important in the picture, but like, yeah, kind of elevates. Yeah, yeah, interesting. What else? It turns kingdom work Yeah, that's exactly right. It turns kingdom in, like I'm doing kingdom work and you all, I don't know, just paying the bills, I guess, right? Which is like such a depressing reality, isn't it? Like who wants to just pay the bills? Yeah, Hannah. Yes. Absolutely. Well, and it completely dismisses the first two chapters of Genesis and frankly, the last two chapters of Revelation. Like it, it like just throws that out. And it's like, no, actually, God said, first of all, just like be gardeners. Right. Do work with your hands. Get dirty. Make something of the world. Right. Right. It's, it's right for us to feel like, OK, there's something not right in this this thing. And, and God's reward, when Paul's talking about God's reward, it isn't. It isn't about the kind of calling that you have, right? Because he's, again, he's talking to bond servants. He's talking to slaves here. That God's, God's mission, God's kingdom isn't that, isn't that myopic. That all, all work, all of it matters to God. Because at the end of the day, and you know this, right? I can do my work in ways that are completely dishonoring to Jesus, right? Like, you know that. Pastor, some, like, there are pastors that do that, right? A complete mess, right? Their hearts aren't in it. Like, you know that. And you, whatever you do, can do it fully, like, for Jesus and passionate for him, no matter what it is, right? It's, it's the heart that matters. And so do what God calls you to do and do it passionately. Do it for his glory. Do it in response to that primary calling, right? To him and for him. And there's a reward, regardless of the kind of work that it is. I love, I love this Dorothy Sayers quote. It might be the best part of the whole night, so you might want to write this one down. I, I just love this. Dorothy Sayers, she was a, uh, actually she was Catholic, uh, writer, mystery writer back in the, like, the 40s, 50s, I think. Um, anyway, she's, she's great. But I love, I love, she wrote a lot of essays too on Christian faith and what it means to follow Jesus. Um, and she's, one of her quotes, she says, the only Christian work, the only Christian work is good work well done. I love that. The only Christian work, the only thing that counts as Christian work is good work well done. Not just preaching sermons, right? Not just feeding the poor, but good work well done. That is what we're called to. So that's, that's the Catholic distortion, that, that only certain jobs, only certain kinds of work are rewarded. But there's also a Protestant distortion, right? Because it kind of came in in the Reformation and, and you know, very understandably, they tried to reform the Catholic Church and pull out, but the, the pendulum swung too, too far. And so the, the Protestant distortion when it comes to work is essentially that my job itself is all the reward I need. Kind of an, an idolization of work. It makes, it makes work everything for us. And so again, many leaders within the Reformation attempted to correct the Catholic distortion in, in really good and beautiful ways. I mean, uh, Martin Luther, right? The, the great reformer uh, in the 16th century, right? He said, God and angels smile when a man changes a diaper. Like, I love that, right? Because work matters. And Luther taught that every vocation should be sacred. He, like, he literally went to monasteries and, like, you know, broke down the, the gates and, like, set the, the monks and, like, go get a job. I mean, he was, he was that kind of, he's a fascinating character uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, but he taught that every vocation, every vocation could be sacred. 
And that's, that's a good thing, right? And the, the Protestant work ethic, you've probably heard of that. Like so much of this is good. But when the pendulum swings too far, work becomes our identity. It becomes everything to us. And it becomes, and this is so much of what our culture, right? So much of our, of our culture is based on kind of a Protestant ethic and work ethic. And, and again, much of that is good. But we've kind of, we live in a society now that your value, my value as a human is what I accomplish, is what I produce, right? One of the first questions we ask to somebody we meet is, what do you do, right? Not who are you? Like, what makes you tick? Like, the really important question, what do you love? Like, those are, those are the questions that matter. And yet we say, what do you do? We've made, we've made our identity simply about what we can accomplish. So what's, what's wrong with, with that picture? What are some of the things, kind of the visceral reactions there? Yeah, if you're unemployed, well, if you're, yeah, and not just like, like unemployed, like an unint- but if you're, if you stay at home, if you are retired, if you're a student, it's like, well, I guess my life will matter eventually. Yeah, yeah, which is heartbreaking, right? Yeah, what else? Egos, yeah. Well, it's exhausting, right? If my identity is what I do, if I'm only as good as what I make or what I accomplish, can you ever rest? Can you ever take a day off? Can you ever feel like you've done enough? Yeah, it's dangerous, right? And this, this is when sort of the, the secondary calling becomes synonymous with the primary calling. It sort of takes its place, that our, our very identity becomes what we do. It can lead to workaholism, right? Idolatry, uh, to despair if we're not good enough, right? All of this kind of thing. But we end up thinking, the more I do, the more pleasing I am to God. But that's not... That's not the reward Paul's talking about. The, the, the job is, that's all I need is just, I just need to work hard and then God will be happy and my life will be great. So often that has crept into our culture as well. Now this, this third, this third uh, distortion is a little bit different, um, but also I think it's really important. I think we sometimes slip into it is the, the bullseye uh, distortion. That the most reward is in the perfect job. It's not about being sacred or secular, but it's like, I, I got to find I gotta find my thing, right? And it's gotta be perfect. And it's gotta fulfill me at every turn. And if I, if I blow it, I'm in big trouble, right? So the, the bullseye distortion, in many ways, it's a theory that only, like, only one thing in the world can make God happy and make my life fulfilling, right? Uh, and if I miss it, that's my one chance and it's, it's over, right? I've disappointed God and I'm gonna live a, an unsatisfying life. Which... Anything less like is just missing the mark, right? And decreases the reward. You don't get the reward or you get less of a reward because, you know, instead of hitting the bullseye here, you hit it over here and it's like, well, you get what you get, right? But what's, what's wrong with that picture? What do you think? Oh, it's unrealistic. Exactly. And yeah, we keep trying, don't we? It's like, we, it's like find, your, find your passion. Like you got to go find the perfect thing. Like, and if you don't, well... Sorry. And who, who ever finds the perfect thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Or the perfect spouse or the perfect place or whatever, right? The, it doesn't exist. It's too much pressure. What else? So few people can even begin to articulate what that, like, perfect thing is. Yeah. It, yeah. It goes back to kind of what we said a few weeks ago, right? It's like, I don't even know what I want, right? How do I even articulate that? I, I wouldn't... I don't even know where to begin. It puts all the pressure on, on the individual. And I think too, I, and this is where I thought you were going originally, but um, I mean, similarly, it's also like, 
You know, it's a very uh, 21st century, sort of white Western American kind of way. It's like no, most people don't, they don't have any choice what they do. Like, like we're the first people in the history of the world who've had this many options, right? And yet we think, well, that's, that's the way the world should work, right? And I've got to find the perfect one, right? And so, yeah, it leads to anxiety. It leads to all this pressure. It leads to despair when we don't find it or arrogance if we think we do, right? Um, none of that is good. And it shows up in all different kinds of ways. Like I got to go to the right college. I got to get the right job. I got to marry the right person, all those kinds of things. And it can also lead to just destruction, right? That's not, that's not the reward. The reward doesn't come in finding the perfect thing. It's not about finding the perfect job, but about being the right kind of person wherever you are. And that's, this, is, this is really important. It's not about finding the perfect job. It's about being the right kind of person, right? A person ready for Monday, following Jesus in all of life, wherever you are. Whether you, you like it or not, right? Whether, whether you're in a, in a situation you absolutely despise, right? To still be the right kind of person in that place. Because if you believe in God's sovereignty, God is sovereign. He's in control of the universe. He's ultimately in control of our lives, our world. Then wherever you are is in many ways where he's put you, Right? Um, and sometimes we don't, we don't like to hear that, right? Because we like to feel like we have all this agency. And I'm not, I'm not minimizing free world or free will. Um, but where you are right now, wherever that is, is God's secondary calling in your life, essentially. Like who you're, who you're married to, where you live, the job that you have. Like where you are right now is where God has put you. So act accordingly, right? Like understand that he has put you in that spot and so act accordingly. And that gives such value, meaning, significance. None of it was by accident. You're not going to hit the bullseye, but God, God knows where you are, right? And he's allowed you to get into that place and you can serve him there. And this, is, this doesn't mean that we can't make changes, right? It's not that you, you're stuck. You have to like, of course there's agency, right? Of course there's, there's free will. You can make changes in where you live or, or what you do. You can't change the spouse thing. Don't do that. Um, but God's, God's secondary calling like continues to unfold as we develop, as we live our lives in response to that primary calling. And so where, God has, where, where you are right now is where God has put you. And so while you're there, live accordingly. Live accordingly. That may change, right? But wherever, wherever you are is the place God has you. Um, and again, with this then, right? Your work will be rewarded, not because you're doing the right work or because you find the perfect job or because your job is everything, right? And you're going to accomplish all these great things. That's not it. It's not because you're a priest or a nun. It's, it's not if you work yourself to a death to, to accomplish great things. You will be rewarded because it's Jesus that you're serving. Because he is our master. And if Paul can say that to a bondservant living in the first century, he says that to each one of us. All right, so let's, let's take 10 more minutes. Let's talk about each of those distortions and where we kind of maybe find ourselves. And then let's take about, uh, I'm going to take five minutes, guys. Sorry about that. All right. Let's bring it back together, y'all. Sorry about that. I want to make sure we have enough time at the end to explain the capstone project for next week. So uh, you want about 10 minutes, right, Reed? Five. You can give five? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll see. We'll see. I don't believe that, but. <laughs> All right, so your work, again, your work is so much, uh, 
Your, your Monday is seen. Uh, last thing, your work is seen, your work will be rewarded, and your work is so much bigger than you. That's the last thing. It's so much bigger than you. Um, so much bigger than, than me, than, than you. And the, th- the reality is we, like, we tend to enter our work in really, if we're honest, pretty self-centered ways, right? Uh, you think about the things that we tend to hear about work, again, paid or unpaid, but we think about, well, how do I get to the weekend or retirement? How do I, maybe I just want to make a ton of money. Um, or even if you just think about like the theme of like every commencement speech right now, you know, find your passion, do what you love. Really? Like, is that the best we can do as followers of Jesus? I mean, it sounds great. And I guess if you have that opportunity, Right. But there's, there's three big problems with that, that sort of statement, the, the find your passion, do what you love kind of thing. First of all, and I kind of mentioned this already, it's really only possible for the extremely privileged, right? Like in the history of the world, and in so many places around the world today, in so many cultures, and for many of us even here, like work is about survival. You're just trying to eat, right? You're, you're trying to put food on the table and pay the bills. So first of all, it's, it's, it's just, it's, you know, it's for, it's for a very certain class of people. Second, it's just, it's unrealistic because not everybody gets to do what they love. Right? Somebody has to cl- clean out the toilets in the marina, right? Somebody has to do it, right? That, no, that work is not going to get done by itself, right? Somebody has to do it. And so some of work just has to be done. Not everybody gets to do what they love. I mean, you think about like how many, how many lives have been ruined by that phrase, find your passion, and somebody struggling to monetize their, their love for video games or whatever, right? Like not everybody gets to do that. It's unrealistic. And third, third if, and this is the, I think the most important, if that's our motivation, I'm going to do what I love, if we're honest, it just makes work completely self-centered. And like, and when, when has anything in your life ever given you more satisfaction when you've made it all about you, right? Like we know that by experience, when I make my world about me, there's no joy in that, right? And if all we say is find your passion, do what you love, it makes work completely self-centered and you're going to be miserable. It doesn't work. Instead of finding our passion, we need to find our purpose, uh, Morton, Morton Hansen writes, he's, he says, I love this. He says, there's actually a big difference between passion and purpose. Passion is do what you love. Whereas purpose is do what contributes, like do what matters, do what helps people. Passion, passion asks, what can the world give to me? Which is a hedonistic inclination, right? But purpose asks, what can I give to the world? And it makes it an others, others orientation. And this, this, I think, is what Paul is getting at. Look again at verse, verse 23. He says, whatever you do, whatever it is, Work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as the reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. You're serving the Lord Christ. You don't have to be a pastor or a missionary. Like in your, in your work, you can, you can serve Jesus every bit as much as your pastors, right? Either way, he's our boss. He's all of our boss. And the dignity that's found in your work isn't just from the work itself. It's not just from the applause that we receive or the, the things that it allows us to do. The dignity comes from our maker, and if that's where the, the, the dignity comes, if that's where the reward comes, nobody can take that away from you. Whether it's seen or unseen, whether you're completely marginalized in your work, nobody can take that dignity away from you. Because when it comes to serving the Lord Christ, I mean, if you think about it, there are really only two commands in the Bible, right? All the rest are just sort of commentary on those two commands, right? Two commands, love God and love your neighbor. That's it, right? And where do you spend the majority of your waking hours? work, which means it's got to be the primary place, one of the primary places where you love God and where you love your neighbors. And not just, we love, love our neighbors, not just, not just by being a good coworker, right? 
being kind to our employees. I mean, yeah, do all of that, but it's also just by doing good work. Again, I wanna quote Dorothy Sayers. She's, she's brilliant on this. She's, her essay on work is really, really good. Um, she's brilliant, but she, she's, she kind of gives this il- illustration that if a, if a carpenter becomes a Christian, okay? So a carpenter becomes a Christian, right? That's a normal, normal vocation. She said that we, we, as Christians, we tend to tell that person, well, then your response should be to be a good person and go to church, right? But she says, like, um, as, as if that's all Jesus has to say, but, but she writes instead, what the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. I love that. Like, that's the first thing. Like, just do your work in ways that honor Jesus. And think, like, Jesus was a carpenter, right? There's dignity in that work. Jesus spent more of his life making stuff than he did doing miracles. Think about that, right? That's pretty incredible, isn't it? And maybe, maybe you're still thinking, yeah, but what, what difference does it make? But think about whatever it is you do, whatever that area of contribution in your life is. Think about if no one did your job anywhere in the world, like what would the world be missing? Or if your industry as a whole just didn't exist? Think about that for a moment. Oh, let, me, let me pick on Garmin, because I feel like in Olathe, if I mention Garmin, there's somebody here that, that works at Garmin. I know at least one person. Who works at Garmin here? One, two, okay. Three, okay, see, yep, yep, exactly, exactly. Uh, any room in Olathe, you can say that. Somebody raises their hands. Um, so yeah, Garmin, let me, let me pick a Garmin for a second. And so at Garmin, there's all kinds of people that work there, right? Many of them go to, go to our church. I, I know a lot of them. So, so some are, are engineers. Engineers, think about it, an engineer, and some of you maybe are engineers, but not at Garmin, you, you take the good stuff that God made and you give it new purpose. Think about that, that makes life better for people. Well, what if, what, if, what if I'm in sales, right? Sales at Garmin. Well, you take products that better people's lives or that should better their lives and you get them into their homes affordably. That's a, that's a good thing. What if, well, I'm in, I'm in human resources at Garmin. Well, then you provide a place where people can flourish and do their work with dignity. Well, I'm, I'm not at those things. I'm an, I'm an executive. Well, then you, you, you literally create jobs for thousands of people by doing that work, right? And for their families, providing for them. Yeah, but I just, I clean the bathrooms, or I answer the phones, or I work in shipping or manufacturing. Well, all of those are integral to that institution that make my life better, right? I love my Garmin products, okay? I've got, I've got a few of them. I mean, I get lost less. I stay healthier. Uh, when I ride my bike, I feel safer. I think I'm safer when I do that. When I hike, I'm less likely to get lost. Like, all these kinds of things. A few, a few years ago, actually, uh, we were in uh, Alaska, and we were in a small plane, which in Alaska, that's, that's, that's like a taxi, basically. That's, there's not a lot of roads in Alaska, we found out. Uh, and so we're in this really tiny plane, and it was like early morning, we're flying up uh, like north of the Arctic Circle, which is pretty cool. Um, and it's a small plane, so I can look into the cockpit and out the window, but as I do so, all I see is white. That's it, like for hours. Well, I don't think it was maybe an hour and a half. I mean, just white, just nothing, right? Can't see anything. And I'm watching the pilot like do his job, and it's like, you know, kind of, kind of a little nerve-wracking, right? But then I saw up there Garmin. And I thought, well, I know those people. I'm, pastor, I'm a pastor to many of them, right? And I, I like them, and they do good work, right? And here's the deal, like my family, we landed safely and whether you know it or not, the three of you that work at Garmin, you loved my family that day because we were safe 
We got on the ground, right? And the work that you do matters. And so, so when, we, when we talk about, you know, our work, our work mattering to God, I know this, this lecture is not brought to you by Garmin, just to be clear. I don't get any kickbacks <laughs> from Garmin on this. Um, but it's easy to say, yeah, work matters, and we just nod along, right? In agreement. Uh, but what you have to hear is your work matters. And so do, do what I just did for your role. Whatever that is, what would the world be missing? So like if you're a stay-at-home parent, like you're raising the next generation. If you're, if you're a student, you're learning how to be fruitful, how to, how to flourish in the future. If you're retired, you can mentor others, you can care for others. If you build homes, you satisfy one of our basic needs. If you're in the service industry, you make life more pleasant. I heard, I heard it summed up uh, like this recently. I, I love this. Instead of do what you love, instead of that, Love the people you do it for. Man, what if, what if that was our motto when we went to work? Not do what you love, but love the people you do it for. Your, your coworkers, your bosses, your employees, your clients, the people that you serve. I mean, when I, when I take my car to the shop, I don't know very much about cars. What do I want most in that spot? I mean, I want, I want my mechanic to love me. I don't, I don't, I don't tell that to, to him or her. Um, but that's what, I, that's what I want, right? But I don't, like I say that, but I don't want a hug from them. Uh, I don't want them to pray with me, if I'm honest. I don't want them to bring me soup when I'm sick, right? I don't, I'm not interested in that. What I want is for my car to work and to be treated fairly. That's love. That is loving your neighbor when that happens and so think about that. Like, what would change for you tomorrow or the work that you do, whenever that is, if you actually believe that your work, whatever it is, is ultimately for Jesus? And that you could, what if you could actually see, like, and again, you gotta, you gotta take the time to think through, how does my work love my neighbor? Even in ways I don't see or understand or experience, how does my industry provide goodness and, and beauty and joy into our world? How, is, how am I loving God and loving my neighbor, the two commands, right? Because if you want to take Jesus seriously, you have to take your work seriously. Because your Monday is ministry. And so Reed, Reed's going to come up in just a minute. Just a minute. And look, at, you're going to have about eight, maybe nine. Yeah. Uh, he's going to come up in a minute, explain the capstone project, and you can do the benediction too. Well, you, I'm just going to go home after this. So. Um, <laughs> But I, I just want to end with a question as we think about this. And really, as we, you know, next week is a little bit different uh, in the format. So as we kind of wrap up these seven marks, I just want to ask this question. What if we as Christians were known more for our Mondays than for our Sundays? Because I think often, often we're known for Sundays. Christians do weird things on Sundays, right? We gather together, we sing songs, we take bread and we dip it. I mean, it's just, it's kind of weird, right, what we, what we do. But what if we were known more for our Mondays than for our Sundays, for the ways we actually live and work and serve outside of these walls, more than, more than anything that we do in here, right? Because what we do in here is meant to equip us for out there. Like, what if that's what we're known for? That's, that's the church. That's who we are. This is why we, we end every Sunday with, as you go from being the church, what? Gathered to scattered. You don't stop being the church. You don't stop being God's kingdom at work in his world, bringing his kingdom into the places that God has called you. That doesn't end after we leave here. What if we were known more for our Mondays than for our Sundays? Just, just imagine, imagine what God could do through his people. All right, Reed. It's all you, buddy.
Um, um, so what I would say is um, our plan is to look at our Monday life through the broad biblical narrative of ought is, can, will. Where, where do you see what, what ought your work to be? Uh, how do you see brokenness in it? What are the ways in which, as, as a redeemed person empowered by the Spirit of Christ, um, are you able to bring renewal? And what one day will your work look like? Uh, and so that's one of the prompts. And then we, what we talked about is identifying through your Monday life where you have influence, where do you uniquely see brokenness? Where do you see the manifestation of sin, the thorns and the thistles um, in our work? And then the idea was then to, then to suggest taking $20, just, just kind of a helpful beginning point, is to say, how could you steward $20 to bring a sense of redemption, healing, restoration to that particular area of brokenness? And so if you haven't yet done that work, we want to encourage you to do that in preparation for next week. Some of you I know have done it and you've had some discussion around your tables. You maybe got some feedback and some ways to improve that. But what we want to do next week is at your tables, each of you, I want you to come either with your more detailed, fleshed out plan of how you uh, expect to fulfill the capstone project. So identifying that area of brokenness in your Monday life of influence how you plan to steward that, that $20 to bring a sense of hope, blessing, redemption. Um, and so either come next week with the detailed plan, or if you have done so or plan to do so this week, come ready to share how you've implemented it, okay? And so that's one of the two options. Uh, for some of us, it might be a plan that's gonna take some time and that's okay. But at our tables, we're gonna spend a good chunk of time discussing with one another what our plan is, um, the, the, the steps we plan to take to accomplish it, and then maybe even an encouragement of how you can be held accountable. Uh, and so the, the, the idea is not, we're not trying to guilt you into it. This is not something that we, that we must do. It's an opportunity we get to do. And hopefully it's an exercise in trying to connect the dots between our Sunday faith and our Monday life, okay? So that's a, a big part of what we're gonna do next week. Now I wanna pause really quick. Any, any questions? because this is a new thing that we're exploring. Are there any questions you have about the Capstone Project and the expectations for next week? Questions, comments? Yeah, Dan. You will send an ex uh, email with the clear expectations on it? So the, um, that's a good question. I don't, if the, the email that goes out that's automated, I don't know if it has all those details in. I, I can send a reminder, but all of the prompts are in your workbooks. If you go back through and see the Capstone Prompt, all of the details you, sh you should find if you go back through. But in, uh, if, if there's, uh, I, I, I can do that. I, I can put them all in one place and send it out. No, no, I, I, I send 800 emails a day. So I'm, I'm happy to, I can add 801 for tomorrow, Dan. But yeah, truly, I can do that. I can do that. That's not a problem. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. I can do that. Any other questions about the Capstone Project? Do you have an example? Do I have an example? Um, like from my life? I, it's, just, it's just paying Nathan $20. Uh, it's just, uh, no, no. <laughs> um, I, no, this is the first year we're, we're doing it. This is the first year we're doing it. So, so in some ways, you guys are our guinea pigs. So, so that's, that's kind of the, we, we don't have any examples from past classes, so you guys get to be the first test project. And so, 
Um, so yeah, so now the second thing I'm going to mention next week is that we're also going to have an opportunity to hear from some people in our class who will remain nameless at this point, uh, who are going to share a little bit about how their faith connects to their Monday life. And so that, that's part of the opportunity as well, is to, uh, if you've joined us on the Sunday morning where we do our ministry spotlights, we've done that from time to time, where we interview people within our congregation about how they see the connection between uh, their faith and how that implements and is lived out into their Monday lives. And so we want to practice that, not as a way to celebrate these particular people and to show that they are the, the winners of Church for Monday. Um, it, they're no less than that, but it's a way to show the plausibility of, oh, this is how this person has seen their Monday life through the biblical framework. I think that connects a dot for me. And so that's the whole idea is to kind of connect, continue to connect these dots together. So, so a big part of next week is going to be our capstone project conversations. And then we are going to ask each table ask, after you've shared together with your table uh, to pick one person uh, to share their capstone project with the whole group. Okay. And so as a table, you will decide on like who you want to put forward uh, to share that project. And so it doesn't have to be detailed. You don't need to come with a PowerPoint presentation or anything like that. Uh, if you want to use your $20 to bribe me to not speak, you can also, that can be your capstone project. Um, no, in all seriousness, that's what we'll decide together. You'll decide at your tables who uh, you want to present and put forward to share what you're going to do. And, and part of that is just to be an encouragement to one another, uh, that it would po possibly even connect some dots for you and like how you want to implement your own capstone project, okay? So any other questions, comments, criticisms, concerns? Okay. What's that? I, we, I don't have an example. We haven't, we haven't done it yet, Arlene, so. Uh, I, I feel like that's that's cheating in some way. Uh, if you truly, if you want to talk about it, we can. I mean, I don't have like an exa I mean, I don't have a specific example because it, the whole idea behind the project is con contextualizing it for your own immediate sphere of influence. And so, nice try, Arlene. Nice try. <laughs> okay, I want to I want to share our benediction for us as we head out from this place together. And, and this comes from uh, Psalm 90. And so this is uh, directly from, um, the, there's, there's a song we've sung on Sundays called Establish the Work of Our Hands. You, you might remember it. And it comes straight from this, this psalm. And so uh, the end of Psalm 90, uh, starting in verse 17. And so I invite you to extend your hand to receive this benediction, this word of blessing. And so hear these words, my brothers and sisters. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, Lord, establish the work of our hands. May that be so. May it be true of us as we go from this place. Have a great week, y'all. Peace.